All right, I'm recording. Should I also record? Welcome back. Welcome to The Experts. The Experts. I'm Irene Marquette. I'm Aggie Hewitt. And we're, we are doing an experimental, unusual new series called uh, A Potpourri. Which the is Experts really Potpourri. <laughs> the Experts A Potpourri! Exclamation mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so every week we get something from the random word generator yeah <laughs> we've been doing it we can talk at the end if we want to change it up yeah. and uh we like learn about something and then we tell each other about it yeah we like learn a fun story or whatever that has to do with what the topic is so we did palace we did uh van yeah and today i feel like you got a really good one out of the generator yeah we got a really good one it's this week blackmail blackmail which is like i mean i feel like i would have picked that yeah it's a yeah. good it's a good topic um blackmail have you ever been blackmailed i don't think so have you no I, no I feel like you would know if you'd been blackmailed i guess i mean like i've definitely felt like uncomfortable but i don't think that's being blackmailed i mean i felt like pressure social pressure to go yeah. along with the group. Stuff What's like, that? to go along with the group or something like that but uh, nobody was like demanding money or making you act a certain way by threatening to expose like something. No, I don't think I've ever done anything that I don't think I've ever had anything you would want from me. And I also don't think I've ever done anything that you could shame me that bad about it. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I probably have, I shouldn't say that because you know, things will come <laughs> I don't Well, know. Aggie, as a matter of fact, I've brought you here today to... <laughs> what if you were like a hacker and you made the generator say blackmail just so you could blackmail me? That would be the most psychotic plot of a modern day Agatha Christie story I could possibly imagine. I know, but you probably wouldn't be like doing it while we were recording. No, you would have to do it while we were recording because that's the that would be the 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 whole, the whole thing. That's thing. the expose. Yeah, you're right. Of course, of that course. would be that that'd be a great play for the COVID era. Yeah, it's like the new unfriended. Yes, but yes, but it's like a two person like parlor room drama. <laughs> yeah, let's abandon this podcast and do that. But we do the whole thing on Instagram. That's and a great idea. <laughs> Uh, have you been watching any good like Instagram shows or? I did watch one really good Instagram show, which was what gave me this idea. I followed this one called Arcana. It was by this girl that lives in LA who I knew from UCB. And um, it's about these 
It's this company that does. It's amazing. There was this, um, I don't know if you remember this moment with Alyssa Milano where uh, <laughs> she's talking about like how she went on like CNN and talked about um, like having an abortion and that people were really judgmental about it. And she's like, I had, you know, I don't have the talking points that people want me to have. Like I, like I just go out and speak from the heart and Z-Way's like, well, you can get talking points. And she's like, where, where do I get them? And she's like, you can read books and like, you know, think about yeah. it and like come up with a thing. And she's like, why, why would I do that? And Z-Way's like, yeah, okay. Just like go on, you know, go ahead, talk without doing any like research or, you know, preparation. That's totally fine. Like moving on. And Elizabeth is like, wait, wait why do I need to read if I have the personal experience? And she's like, because you're where your personal experience and like your like synthesis of public of like life and history, like leads to a methodology that like makes you an activist. And this is after like 10 minutes of her being like, I'm an activist. I'm an activist. Yeah. And then she's like, Alyssa Milano's like, maybe I don't want to be an activist. <laughs> and that's like her entire thing. It was, it, it was crazy. The Alyssa Milano one, I was feeling sort of bad for Alyssa Milano because in the Rose McGowan one, she kept like kind of throwing her under the bus. And I was like, okay, I guess whatever. Rose McGowan hates Alyssa Milano. That's I didn't right. know. She did. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, I guess I understand why. Because Alyssa Milano did not come off very well in that interview at all. She didn't. She was monologuing so much and really not like listening and being present I think is like I I I thought it was really embarrassing actually and I went um I went and like looked on Twitter afterwards and and you saw things that were like that was awesome girl like good job and she's like oh thanks had to like you know, you, you have to like take your lumps. Like I'm paraphrasing, but I'm like, what? Her interview reminded me honestly of a lot of conversations that I've had with, um, actresses <laughs> in my life. Like, I feel like I've had like friends who acted like Alyssa Milano before and they're just like really annoying. You know, and I think that that's like, I think it's fine, but when you're on like a public, when you've, when you've placed yourself on this public platform and like presented yourself as like an expert or a savior or like a person who has answers and, and you, you expose yourself as somebody who doesn't actually like do the work. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so bad. Yeah, I feel like she's been sort of a problematic figure for a while. Just kind of like, she's, I don't, I haven't followed her too, but she was like really involved with like the Me Too movement and stuff like that, right? Wasn't she one of those people? Yes. Yes, and she's been very politically active and like that, that's what I thought was such a shame um, about that interview because you know, it, it exposes this thing of like people have their heart in the right place and they like, like, I think that she does want positive change and like, 
she wants more peaceful world and she wants all these things but the reality is it's you 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 have to work you have to work for it especially when people are listening to you like you have a responsibility to sort of be more than just a model for a cause you know if you're presenting yourself as a spokesperson you, well you she have to back she it up in some way she wants a better world for herself Yes. But she has no concept of like intersectionality or that like she didn't seem to understand that as a celebrity activist, really her role is to like amplify other people yes. and to like amplify other causes. Because as I know, she's had an abortion and whatever, like, you know, all women have been through shit. We've all been through stuff, but like she's also coming from this place of like privilege and has this huge platform where she can talk about whatever she wants. And so to only be like, well, but I already like lived it. So like, why do I have to like think about anybody else is just sort of, I mean, it's just showing where she's coming from, which has been like the, the big criticism of like white feminism in general and kind of like what the, what the like corporate version of the Me Too movement sort of became, like it's not what it, where it started, but like kind of what ended up happening with all of that. Um, yeah, it's good business. And like, and it was, it was really kind of shocking. I mean, I understand the criticisms, criticisms of it, but like how shallow she came across was honestly pretty shocking. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree. And um, after that run of like, them having, you know, Z-Way trying to be like, if you want to be an activist, this is how you can do that. And her being like, but I have my own personal experience. Why do I need to go any farther? She, it's this thing of like, well, why am, why are you doing this? Why am I, you know, being an activist? And she's like, I have to do this to sleep at night. I've got two houses. How am I going to sleep comfortably in my two houses if I'm not like half-assedly, you know, speaking on behalf of people or causes I don't understand at all. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. It was, yeah. It was and you it don't was, have to say anything. You don't have to talk. Just like give money to people who can use it. And she could have just like retired. Like no one would even be thinking about her. I mean, not to be a bitch, but like, I mean, she was done. You know, she could have just, she truly could have Cameron Diaz did and just been like, I made my money. I had my career. I have two houses. Good night. I am right there with you. And you know, I love Project Runway and she was a host on Project Runway All Stars alongside the founder of Marquesa, Georgina Chapman, who was married to Harvey Weinstein. Uh -huh. And when it all went down, they were in the middle of a Project Runway All-Stars, and I was watching that like a hawk, and they sat at other, either ends of the thing. You never really saw them interact. Then it's like, when did they film this? What did she know? Like, what does anybody know? What's going on? And then at the end of the episode, it just says Weinstein in big letters. It's like, I don't know. It's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. It's all insane. But also I can't fault anybody for working with Harvey Weinstein, like right up until the end because he was so powerful. It's true. Have you watched, um, the assistant? No, it's on uh, Hulu. Now it's by the woman who did, um, 
casting John Bonet. Oh, I loved casting John Bonet. Me too. Did I? Uh, Kitty Green. Did we I get the about it? We talked about it quite a bit when it came. We did. We have. <laughs> well, she made um, this like very like verite movie about a person who is like Harvey Weinstein's assistant. Oh, and it's like all from her perspective and she's just, you know, first one in the office, ordering cars, like finding earrings in the carpet. Oh my God. Yeah. This looks really good. I'm going to watch this as soon as we're done. I'm not kidding. I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for something good to watch. Um, I've just been watching like documentaries about the internet. <laughs> oh my God. Like what? Um, have you watched the internet's own boy about Aaron Schwartz? No. It's on YouTube. I'll send it to you. It's great. Should we talk about blackmail? Yeah. Let's talk about blackmail. I want to watch this. I want to watch this. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about blackmail. Um, should I go first? Because you went first last time. Sure. Unless you want to go first. No, no, I, 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 let's do it. All right. I think that's good. I think we should, I think we should alternate. I yeah. also want to just say for the record that, um, I'm sweating so bad. I'm sitting on a bed right now and the, um, comforter is, has like pools of wetness underneath like the back of my legs. I'm sweating quite a bit myself. I'm, I'm in a very hot room and I've also got a heat pad on me. So I'm oh fucking God, Look at us. A couple of pickies. I know. We're a couple of sweaty bitches. <laughs> we're going to tell you about blackmail. Tell actually, me. Peggy, tell me about blackmail. What did you choose for your topic? Okay. The assistant was actually a really good segue into my topic. And I hope I get, I hope I do this justice because it's a big story and I, I read about it and I took some notes, but I haven't like practiced saying it out loud. So hopefully this will make sense, but I'm going to tell the story of, um, Joe Halderman blackmailing David Letterman in 2009, 2009. What was his name again? His name was Joe Halderman. Okay. Go. Okay. So this story really starts, um, in the early 2000s, when a woman, a college student named Stephanie Brickett, becomes an intern while she's a college student at um, at CBS, and she is working on like a couple of different shows. But like her goal in life was to intern on the David Letterman show. And after a couple of attempts, sorry, I got a detail wrong. After a couple of attempts, she gets this coveted internship on David Letterman. And, um, when her internship ends, she goes back to school, she finishes her degree. And right after she graduates, she goes back and she becomes, she gets involved in their page program. I guess it's similar to like the NBC page program, but it's the, it's through CBS. So she's working on two shows. Uh, she's working on David Letterman and she's working on 48 hours, which is like a magazine, like kind of true crimey news show. You oh, know, I know about 48 hours. Come on. Know, you it's know like Dateline. It's like a Dateline type show. And while she's working on 
this show, she, while she's working on 48 Hours, she meets this guy, Joe Halderman, who's 17 years older than her, going through a divorce. Red flag, red flag. Red flag, red flag. And this entire time, she like really wants to move back to the late show. She had a great time. I think she may have already known David Letterman at that point. She like got along with the staff. That's where her heart is. This is all kind of happening around 2004. The details are murky about the exact like order of events because nobody has really spoken too much about this. But basically around 2004, she at the same time starts a relationship with Joe Halderman and applies for and gets a job as uh, David Letterman's assistant. But she's like working for CBS. She's not like his personal assistant. She's like working for the show. Mm-hmm. Um And so her job is, like, assistant stuff, whatever. She's, like, running. It was, like, 2004. So, like, at that point, there was still a lot more, like, runner type of duties. Like, she would, like, pick up movies and books and stuff for him. And, like, um, she also got really involved working with his charity. He had – and also his, like – he had, like, an Indy 500 team. He was, like, really into race cars. I don't know. Letterman? I don't know. What's but, up with these late night hosts being so into cars? Doesn't Jay Leno have like a million cars? Jay Leno's like the real car man. Dave is more, I didn't know this about him, but apparently like working for him was this like kind of dream. Like he would take her and his, the rest of his staff like on these like vacations and his private plane. He, they were like living the high life. And something about David Letterman that I was not aware of, but I guess was like, this was a picture that was painted like really vividly for me by reading this Vanity Fair article that most of this information was coming from. But he has this like wild animal sexuality that like I was not totally aware of. But it makes- David Letterman does? Yeah. Okay. Like women were like obsessed with him. This one woman- said who under oh also for this article this vanity fair article the men are all like on the record like crying when they talk about what a great boss he was and how wonderful and how he like bankrolled them through the writer's strike and all this stuff and the women almost to a person speak only anonymously like don't want to be identified so he's kind of an asshole like it paints the picture of his first marriage which was like obviously incredibly complicated he eloped with this girl when they were like 20 and when they got to the justice of the peace, he was like, kept making jokes like, Oh, like these two girls kidnapped me. Like, which one of you am I supposed to marry? Like, I don't want to marry you. I want to marry that one. Like just kept making jokes the entire time. And after they got married, he went back home to his parents' house and didn't tell them or anybody that they'd been married for a month. And until she like showed up at his house in the middle of the night and was like, where is he? Like, we're married. Like what is happening? And she was like six feet tall and he was constantly making jokes. He would call her like Bigfoot and stuff like that. Like he was really mean to her and he would like introduce her to his friends. He'd be like, this is my pal Eddie and like stuff like that. Like he was just kind of an asshole. And that was his first wife. Obviously they got divorced. Um, he gets married again later, but I'll tell you about that down the road. But like these women are like (laughs) kind of throwing themselves at him. And like, if you watch the, it makes sense when you think about like, do you remember when Drew Barrymore like stood up and flashed him? Of course. I'll never forget it. And like Madonna used to do stuff like that too, all the time on his show. There was like that, like weird, like flirty relationship with him and Madonna. And there were like, 
he always had like banter with women. There, there, um, I was watching, uh, but I feel like he was always like kind of embarrassed. There was like a little bit of, I don't know. I, I at least that, cause when I watched Letterman, like in the nineties or whatever, I was like a teenager, you know? So I love Letterman. He's my favorite late night show, ho- late night talk show host of like all time. I love He's him. The best. He's really funny, but I think there's a certain type of man, especially in comedy that kind of like presents themselves as this like nebbishy dork who like doesn't know what to say around pretty girls and like pretty girl, but like has something like confidence or intelligence or something that makes them so appealing. And pretty girls like throw themselves at these guys all the time thinking like, oh, like this is going to blow his mind or something like that. But like it doesn't because like it's happening to them all the time. I feel like I've known people like that in my life. (laughs) And like I kind of feel like that's like what his. That's what keeps them coming. Like that's, that's what keeps them buying improv classes, right? That's what keeps them shelling out the big bucks for those improv classes. I mean, I want to name names right now so bad, but I'm just not going to. You're very good. <laughs> I'm just not going to because I don't want to walk down that road, but God knows I could. Um, and this one woman in the, in the Vanity Fair piece said, I've come in contact with countless celebrities and only two emit a tangible, almost magnetic force and electricity that draws you to them. David Letterman and, you want to guess the other one? Uh, Dan Aykroyd. I have no idea. <laughs> Bill Clinton. Oh, who said this? That was Madeline Smithberg, who was a segment producer on Letterman. Whoa, weird. Well, she, I feel like she's got a type. No, I, I mean, there were several women. Another person said, it's like a cult. You arrive and intern and stay for life, and people do fall in love with Dave and behave in a way um, that might not be considered appropriate in a professional working environment. People really feed on wanting positive reinforcement from him. It was intoxicating to me. I can see how someone could cross the line. It's like Jesus Christ saying, hey, let's get dinner. You're going to go, wow, he chose me. If he hit on me, I probably would have accepted. That was another person, not her. Wow. All right. All right. I'm thinking of Dave in a different way. I know. (laughs) Um, so while he's like, like letting, sorry, my dog is trying to play with me right now. So like, while he is like emitting the sexual energy or whatever, this young girl, Stephanie Brickett, um, is working as his assistant and he would have people like on his show do like bits or whatever all the time, like do like be like audience plants or whatever. And he immediately developed a rapport with her. He thought that she was great. He would ha- he ended up having her on the show doing bits over 200 times. Um, wow. And you can go and Google and like find on um, YouTube like videos of her. And she's really funny. Like there's this bit he keeps having her do where he makes her like dance like her ex-boyfriend used to dance. And it's just like this really funny dance where she's like hunched over and like punching her arms down. It's just like, it's just funny. Like it's, it's, it's good. And, um, she's cute. She's like this cute blonde woman. And everybody says that she's like really, really smart. Um, and no one really knows when the affair 
happened. But in 2005 is when she moved in with her boyfriend, Joe Halderman, who's working for 48 hours. And she's leading this sort of jet-setting life as David Letterman's assistant. She's in this sort of cult-like group of the staff of The Letterman Show. And The Letterman Show has everything. They have the private jet. They have all this money. They have this huge audience. Well, 48 hours, I mean, this guy, Joe Halderman, had been a pretty big deal, like, segment producer for, like, various news shows throughout his career. But... Things were sort of slowing down. People weren't really watching shows like that as much anymore. His ex-wife moved to Colorado and took his son, and he was, like, financially devastated by that, emotionally devastated by that. And he was becoming, I believe he was becoming increasingly bitter and just increasingly angry as his life was starting to look so much different from this woman that he was sharing his home with, who's also 17 years younger than him. And also around 2005 or in 2006, I think, oh, in 2005, she starts going to law school. But while she's in law school, Stephanie is also still working for David Letterman and David Letterman is paying for it. Wow. So, or it's a loan from his company, but that's who's like footing the bill. And so she's like continuing to like, she's got this like amazing future ahead of her, this amazing life. In 2006, he sent her to Italy to cover the Olympics. I mean, she's just like having, she's young. She's having the time of her life. And this goes on for years until 2009. So David Letterman while this is happening, has this long-term girlfriend who also started out working on his show, but she's like more age appropriate. They were together for 23 years before they get married. Mm. And before they get married, she has his, she had his son in 2003, but they don't get married until 2009. And they're dating this entire time. Say that again. He had, they had a child together in 2003 but they oh get married God. in 2009 okay. and her name's Regina Lasco. And he says like shitty stuff about her too. So, Oh my God, there's this interview with Julia Roberts. That's in the thing. Cause you know, Julia Roberts is like kind of a bitch also. Yes. You know that aloe vera shirt. Aloe vera. No. She like, so she married this, this is like a side tangent, but like she married this guy who was like a, a cameraman on the movie The Mexican. Oh, right. Yes. He met him while they were shooting that. He was married to a makeup artist whose name was like Vera something. Oh, my God. And so like six months after they started the affair, she went out in public and she was wearing a shirt that she made. She wrote on it in marker, a low Vera, like aloe Vera, but like a low Vera. Like, I don't fucking know. Like, it was just, like, a bitchy thing. And it's, like, you're fucking Julia Roberts, you fucking bitch. Like, that is so crazy. Can you imagine? No, I can't. But do you remember that she – wasn't she, like, engaged to Kiefer Sutherland? And she was supposed to meet him in, like, Ireland to get married or something? And then she started dating Jason Patrick, who was his friend, and, like, left him at the altar. There's, like, some crazy story like that, too. She's got a long – and sordid history with romantic yeah. entanglements. 
But she's still married to this cameraman, I think. Well, uh, au revoir, Vera. <laughs> <I'll>, uh, <laughs> yeah, au revoir, Vera. She's, Vera's out of the picture. But so Julia Roberts using like her typical bitchy attitude was like, you should marry that woman, that sweet, nice woman. She said this on his show. She gave birth to your child, and then he said, I'm praying for a power outage in Westchester. On the show, this is like the banter. So whatever. He finally marries her in March of 2009. (laughs) Which, I'll just, spoiler alert, the (laughs) blackmail start was in August of 2009. So that's her wedding year. Um. So he's, okay, so he doesn't treat women amazingly well, whatever. So this guy, Joe Halderman, is, like, seething in Connecticut. His girlfriend is having this, like, jet-set lifestyle with her boss. And it all comes to a head one day in, um, I think it's in August, when he sees David Letterman drop her off outside of the house in his Tesla which also, this is a 2009 Tesla. So that's like, Teslas were really expensive then. I mean, they're expensive now, but in 2009, it was like, that was. Yeah. I feel like you, you, it was like having like a Gmail address at the beginning. Like you it had was to get, like invited. <laughs> exactly. Like David Letterman had to get invited to have this Tesla. Yeah. So he sees uh. him dropping her off and he sees them in what has been called in multiple, in multiple accounts, a passionate embrace. What is a passionate embrace? I don't know. I don't I think mean, it's like, it. remember when uh, Kristen Stewart was photographed with the director of that Sleeping Beauty movie or whatever? Yeah. Or that's no way. Yeah. They were in a passionate were, embrace they, by the side of the road, if you recall. They were, they were by the side of the road. I feel like this is happening in a car. I don't know what this passionate embrace is, but he knows that something's going on. Like, why is David Letterman dropping his assistant off? Like, come on. I don't know. I would get I would get dropped off as an assistant, but I never had sex with my boss, so there you go. I just feel like this is. I feel like he knows. Like you would know, right? If you're like, because I think this has been going on for years at this point too. So whatever. He's this like rageful guy. Anyway, he's like super upset. He he's he needs money, and so. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think around that time he started digging through her stuff because he ends up finding diary entries and emails between David Letterman and Stephanie Brickett that confirmed that they were having an affair. And in August of 2009, so August of 2009 is when Stephanie moves out of their home that they share. And also when he goes to David Letterman's house Uh in New York (laughs) and gives him, it gives his driver a package that says private and confidential. Mm -mm. And the driver puts it in the car. And when David Letterman gets in the car, he opens it and he sees a one page treatment for for a screenplay. And he says that, he's going to write a screenplay about a man with huge financial success um, 
with a quote beautiful and loving son and who's going to have his reputation ruined because of his affair at work and he says that he can prove that he had this affair um so what i didn't know before i like started reading about this was like the blackmailer was really intimately involved with the entire thing this was like a love triangle it wasn't just like some random guy which i didn't know who it was so david letterman apparently this happens a lot with celebrities according to this vanity fair article and like a lot of the time people just like pay because they're like whatever he was asking for two million dollars and he was trying to pass it off as like i'm optioning a screenplay to worldwide pants which is david letterman's company and he's like and you're gonna pay me for this option so it's all gonna be legal and once you own the rights you can do whatever you want with it um but i also want to write a book about it and you can't option that so i might still do something but i don't know so David Letterman, who is this very sexy man, as we sexy know, man, but like comedic genius, also sort of an asshole and probably a control freak is like, I am not going to be blackmailed. So he goes to his attorney and tells his attorney what happened. He go, he tells his wife and the attorney and David Letterman and the, they go to the police and they set up this basically sting operation where they give him a fake check for $2 million. And when he tries to cash it, he gets arrested. And that morning that he gets arrested, David Letterman, like this is what everybody knows this from, goes on his show. I remember this. And admits to everything. He doesn't say who the woman is. That came out later. But he tells the entire story of finding the um the package and what it said and going through his attorney and the guy becoming arrested and admitting that yes i've had sex with women who work for me on this show and he got out of it scot-free and as in terms of like public opinion we're like now i don't think even doing that i don't think that you would avoid a lot of heavy criticism from the public. Um, no, I think that, um, I mean, if Louis CK had taken that approach, I think that that would have been a different story. Also, not Louis saying that what they did is the same at all. Just right. saying like, when, when the pressure is on, like you, you, you have to own up to it. Like, he immediately took accountability for it. Like, as soon as he had it and he, but what he didn't do, which I'd like, is he didn't offer a public apology. He just admitted to what he did, mm -hmm. where I feel like the idea of a public apology is, like, so confused in people's minds. And, like, the yeah, idea that a public never, an apology owes his wife an apology. He owes his wife an apology and he owes this girl an apology, too. I mean, like, when this happened... David Letterman was like 62 years old and the other guy was 51 years old and she wasn't even 30 yet. Like, come on. Like it's, they're both being disgusting pieces of shit. Like, I don't know. Like I get whatever, like the thing about blackmailing David Letterman over this is like blackmail your fucking self. Like she worked for 48 hours. Also, he's also 17 years older than her. Like why? I, I don't know. The whole thing is just like, these two men 
fighting for like ownership over this young woman's body. That's how I see this whole thing. I think that that is um, really the only way to see it. And just thinking about also the, if, if his plan had worked, if he had gotten $2 million and it was under this legal pretense, then forever he would have, like that would have been a feather in his cap that he had like sold a treatment to David Letterman's production company or whatever, whatever the thing, you know? And it's like, who is this woman? Like her career is ruined. I'm looking her up right now and looking at pictures of her and like seeing these bits that she did. And I have like a vague memory of, of some of this stuff, but I don't, I don't know her. Like, where do you go from Well, she was in law school when all of this happened and she was like going through law school while she was still working on the show. So now she's a lawyer. She, she's not in the public eye at all. Oh, Um, Hey, good for her. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't want to want to be a comedian with her beautiful resume. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like it because I mean, that's the thing. I don't know because it's like maybe in another world, she would have gone to New York and had that first, you know, entree into this world and like gotten into the writer's room and like done you know had more of a creative role instead of just like sort of working on the show and going to law school she started going to law school before this happened but I don't know if it was before the affair started and when I think about this young girl who's like, okay, maybe I'm interested in TV. Maybe I'm interested in comedy and moves to New York. And she works on two shows, 48 hours and David Letterman. And she starts living with one of the guys and having an affair with a guy from the other show. And it's like, this she's is what this naughty girl. is. What? She's a naughty girl. She's a naughty girl. But she's <laughs> like, like, you know, this is, she's like, this is what I'm worth to these people. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. Do you think, okay, do you think that there is any part of her that was like, I'm a baller. I can, I run these men. All these, these old men are so pathetic. Like my pussy rolls them all. (laughs) I mean, a hundred percent. They're ruining each other's lives over me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. Like this is like, so much better than like two guys having like a fist fight or something like him oh going my god yeah you take it straight to wikipedia baby oh my god i mean like this is one for the history books like this is ruining everybody's fucking life yeah this guy went to jail wow. went to jail for six months and his career is over oh and now he works for some like alt-right media company or something like he's gone crazy disgusting and you know, David Letterman, I, I think it was kind of the beginning of the end for him too, because like right after that, he had his heart attack and then he kind of left late night also not too long after that. Yes. And then he did that show for Netflix that, um, my next guest the needs to know, which was what good, was but it was definitely not the same thing. No, a more serious tone, more, more mature. Yes. A man who has lived. Yeah. And lost. (laughs) He's loved. He's lost. But he sat down with Oprah. These people have all sat down with Oprah. Well, not all of them. I just mean him and Julia Roberts. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he was really upfront and honest about it. And um, I think that's sort of what saved him. Also, because... 
yeah, like I do think it was a hundred percent consensual. I think that she wanted to do it. I don't think that this would have ever come out if it wasn't for this other guy, this other guy, like being jealous and being pissed. And it was kind of sad he said that he wanted the $2 million cause it would, um, make it like financially possible for him to fly back and forth to Colorado and visit his son whenever he wanted to. Yeah, honestly, that, that's one of those things. That's not my problem. That's not like, I don't need to know about that. I don't need to sit here and feel bad for this man who's trying to get plain fair to see. Also, that he, he were, he's a producer on 48 hours by your own flight. What's your yeah, problem? He can afford a plane ticket. He's not, I mean, it's not like 48 hours is some like, weird like ramshackle independent newspaper that nobody's watched. it's like i understand no it's not even like it's a reality show on a and e or something no he was jealous because he saw how much more money david letterman was earning and how much more money like his show in general had like they had a bigger budget they just like he he was david letterman and this was a guy was like a producer in 48 hours obviously he's like a bigger deal but like so he uses this woman that's his girlfriend to leverage yeah more opportunity off of like some some alpha yeah he's like you don't cuck me i cuck you he's like i cuck you but he ends up cucking himself because he like david letterman like was like fuck you told everybody what happened anyway yeah he's like you're a toy bitch go to jail yeah and was like you're in jail and david letterman came out smelling like a rose completely fine i mean i can't imagine his wife was as okay with it as david letterman was i mean i don't i feel like it must have been really hard for her yeah um especially just because they had already had like years of this shit where like I mean, 23 years of just, like, jokes about how he's not going to marry this woman while he's, like, having affairs and you're, like, just, like, in this house in Connecticut. And she used to work, I don't know, just that, like, all these women have, like, worked on his show and were sort of, like, in this, like, stagnant place where they couldn't find a way to, like, get a promotion or get their own show or, like, branch out or do anything else. And they end up just, like, kind of, like, fucking him and then, like, leaving the industry altogether. Makes me sad. But I, I don't think that they're necessarily, like, victims of him. I think it was just, like, a, a different time culturally. And it wasn't that long ago. It was, like, 10 years ago. And I don't know how different it is, really, at any right now. But it's, like, slowly changing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about any of it, you know? Yeah, I just know how it would be presented now, which is like completely different from how it was just in 2009. But yeah, but yeah. that's, you know, he's a lucky bastard. He's a lucky bastard. David Letterman with his little Walt Whitman beard. Yeah. So that's my story about David Letterman's blackmailing. That's a good story. And, um, you know, I had like a vague memory of that story of his apology and I did not know any of the ins and outs. And I feel like you really turned me into an expert today, Aggie. Oh my God. Well, that's what I aim to do. I aim to turn everybody into an expert on everything. Well, 
today you've succeeded. Thank you. Um, I like how David Letterman did not succumb to blackmail. And the subject that I have chosen also did not submit to blackmail okay. to a uh, different series of results. <laughs> and today, <laughs> Aggie, I would like to talk to you about, of course, I feel like we can't talk about blackmail without talking about the kidnapping of John Paul Getty III. Are you familiar with this case? I'm familiar with the case because I know that like Kevin Spacey was going to play him and then he got canceled and then somebody else played him. And then there was a plumber. Yes, this was a historic um, situation. Kevin Spacey got quote unquote canceled. Is cancel culture real? That is a debate for Twitter. We can't have that tonight. Too much time has already transpired. But he was in all the money in the world playing JP Getty uh, or J. Paul Getty, um, J. Paul Getty. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, like you said, he got canceled. It was like two weeks before the movie came out. Ridley Scott reshot it with Christopher Plummer. They edited it, got it out. Ridley Scott cares about the Me Too movement, cares about, um, ethically producing movies, and I do think Christopher Plummer is a better casting choice. Well, didn't he win an Oscar? He at least got a he got nominated for an Oscar, I think. He, I he did. It feels like it's more of a um, like a process it. award than it, like an <laughs> acting like, honor. Like good job, I'm doing this in like one day because the guy got fucking me too and couldn't be in the movie. Thank you so much for like. It's like sending like a thank you email. Like that was really crazy. I appreciate you stepping up at the last minute. It's true. And that is a case where like you should be thanking the producers. Like that, like the people who like actually pulled that off are people that it's like assistants and, you know. Yes. That must've been one of the most stressful periods of time. Oh, a nightmare. I'm sure somebody's thinking about it and drinking right now. Yes. Someone is like has PTSD from that. (laughs) (laughs) um so j paul getty who uh was famously played and not played by kevin spacey um was like an oil tycoon he founded the he was a patriarch um of the getty family born in 1892 and when you look at like the history of california los angeles like these oil barons were such a huge part of it it's like um, there will be blood. Uh, there's a really great book called um, West of Eden by Gene Stein that talks oh. about like four famous um, Los Angeles stories okay. and uh, like over the history of Los Angeles. And it's all like that, um, uh, you know, first person, I don't know what you call that in like a, in a book where it's just like interviews with people and to, strung together, it tells a tale. Um, wait, is it West of Sunset? It's called West of Eden by Gene Stein. Okay, sorry. I there's this other book that about LA called West of Sunset that I've been wanting to read. Anyway, this is neither here. I read that too. But anyway, so these oil barons, um, Getty was one of these. He he was um, by standards of the past, standards of the president of the present. Like he 
he's one of the richest Americans that's ever lived. And by the time he died, his wealth in today's money would be like about $21 billion. Oh my God. And he did, he did a lot of, um, good. He was very frugal and he was an asshole and a miser. And, um, just, you look at pictures of him, he looks like a shriveled, mean, old raisin, but (laughs) he also, um, was an art collector. He cared a lot about antiquities, preserving the past, and he made these amazing public art spaces like the Getty Center, which is, um, in uh los angeles right off the 405 that is it's a massive amazing museum and um there's just a great art collection like a permanent collection and then they have special exhibitions all the time the view is beautiful you can pack a lunch it's totally free to go you only have to pay for parking and he also has a getty villa which is in malibu and that's made to look like a Roman villa. And there's, you know, frescoes and tile mosaics and like ancient sculptures, statues, all that stuff. It's, um, it's, it's awesome to have access to it. It's, it's something that I love about living in California. Yeah, totally. But here's the thing. On a personal level, not a great dude. It just cannot be stated enough. He had tons of money and he had uh, four sons and 14 grandchildren. And his grandson, who was John Paul Getty III, He was a freewheeling, like, bohemian, hippie, child of the era. How, how it goes, you know, with the children of, like, children, grandchildren, like, super wealthy. A trustafarian. A trustafarian, for sure. Yeah. His father had been, like, al- you know, an alcoholic, into drugs. His stepmother had died of a heroin overdose. Okay. His, they, it just, like... You know, it's just like not an ideal childhood, and you're also dealing with um, the time period, which is like the '60s and '70s. And he was just kind of like a freewheeling, a freewheeling youth in a time. And he was beautiful. If you look at pictures of him when he was young, he had like this long, kind of curly red hair. And um, before he got into modeling, he was living in Italy, and he was just like bumming around and uh, living this like art you know, arty teenage dropout, um, life. And he was like, Oh, what if I, um, what if we staged a kidnapping? And like, I got money from my famous family. It was like an idea that had been passed around whether or not this came from him or, um, he made himself vulnerable in Italy, uh, remains to be known, but he was, on July 10th at 3 a.m. in 1973, he was 16 years old, and he was kidnapped by uh, the Italian mafia. And they were the, um, I can't pronounce it, sorry guys. It starts with an apostrophe, it ends with an A, it's an Italian gang uh, <laughs> mafia that had been around since 1800. So they, they kidnap him in Rome and um, 
several days later, his mother got a letter asking for $17 million. So it goes up the chain of the family, like who's got all the money? Daddy has the money. And uh, J. Paul Getty says no, famously says no. He was like, I have 13 other grandchildren. If I give money to these kidnappers, all, all my children, all my children, my grandchildren, they'll all get kidnapped. I'm going to like, owe all this money. No. So he, he says no. And he like holds firm and the kidnappers like are not fucking around. And, um, he is kidnapped from July 10th, uh, until November. Oh my God. In no, yes. And it's, it's getting worse and worse. So they like, um, and they keep torturing him. They take away his music. They like, uh, psychologically, um, damage him. He like has a bird that he likes. They kill it. Oh my God. They start, they play Russian roulette with him. It's, it's like, it's really, really dark. And, um, Getty will not budge on this. So they send a letter in November with a lock of his hair, his beautiful red curly hair, and they cut off his ear and they mail it to the family. And they're like, if you don't pay us, like you'll get him back in, in little bits, uh, unless they're paid $3.2 million. Oh, so they went down. They did. They significantly went down. But I mean, clearly they're playing, like, uh, these but guys still, these guys, they want something. Yeah, but it's also so clear. It's like, you aren't important enough. Like, could the message be any stronger? And I think, like, to me, when I, uh, this is a story that has tantalized my imagination for many, many years. And w- when I think about, like, the... I, I wasn't raised in any kind of hyper wealth, obviously, or even like medium or like middle class. So the, the idea of like the, the, the kind of neglect that happens within these families has also been like a subject of interest to me. And, um, you know, you read like books or plays about it. This to me is like the most extreme example. It's so everything about it feels so symbolic and so pulled out. Like, um, you, you don't matter. Like I, my fortune is worth in today's money. Again, $21 billion. Yeah. So the kidnappers ask for 3.2 million they have a letter that says this is Paul's first year. If within 10 days, the family still believes that this is a joke mounted by him, which was the idea of the family, mm-hmm. then the other ear will arrive. In other words, he will arrive in little bits. So winter is setting in. Um, Paul starts getting really sick. He, uh, the, his ear is infected. He wow. starts to get pneumonia and his captors um, give him a huge dose of penicillin which gave him an allergy, which affected his health later in life. And they kept, um, they kept him drunk to just like, uh, keep him like totally placid. And it's so awful. I'm sorry. I'm telling you this. So after, 
they send they they send his ear and the grandfather's like okay i guess i have to do something so he consulted with his lawyers to find the maximum amount that he could give the blackmailers that would still be tax deductible okay oh and that amount was 2.2 million dollars which is equal Wait. to about 12.7 million um today Wait, that would still be tax deductible yeah so he could say, wait a second. So if he gave less than that, so if he, wait, so if he gave less than that, he, would, he wouldn't be able to declare it as like a loss or something? Yeah. So here's what he did. He, the $2.2 million is tax deductible. They asked for 3.2. So he fronted the $3.2 million. The $2.2 million he wrote off on his taxes. The rest he billed to his son who was the father of the boy who was kidnapped. Oh my God. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And he charged him a 4% interest. Wow. Yeah. This is like financial child abuse, like financial abuse, I think is something that doesn't get talked about and is not really understood. And this is like another another example like he he's you know he is abusing his child and his grandchild um by withholding something that would literally save somebody's life i mean it's just so fucked up it's so perverted i know so surprised that people don't want like medicare for all or something it's like this is how they think like they don't give a fuck about anybody exactly it's his flesh and blood and he's like consulting with a lawyer to find out what is taxed about i mean aggie you said it so perfectly um okay so uh paul was found alive on december 15th so he was kidnapped from um july 10th to december 15th 1973, they dropped him behind a petrol station, uh, right, like after the ransom was paid. And um, per his mother's suggestion, he called his grandfather to thank him for paying the ransom, but he refused to come to the phone. Because he was mad at him? Yeah. For getting kidnapped. Yeah, he's just like, I mean, he's an asshole. He's just like an old fucking dick. Oh my God. So... This is giving me so much anxiety. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, you should have gone, I should have gone first. Uh, <laughs> so uh, nine of the kidnappers were apprehended. Most of the money, um, two of the kidnappers were convicted and sent to prison, and the rest were acquitted for lack of evidence, including the bosses. Most of the ransom money has never been recovered. So four years after this happened, um, uh, John Paul Getty III had his ear rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So he was kidnapped in 1973. In 1974, he married his girlfriend, who um, was, she was like five months pregnant when they got married. So like when he got back, he just like hooked up with her. She got pregnant. They got married. And their child was Balthazar Getty. Okay. Okay. Um, it's... I mean, obviously, like, going through an experience like this will affect you for the rest of your life, and uh, he was, like, biologically, um, you know, he came from 
a family of addicts and there's a social aspect of that combined with like kidnapping and like keeping him drunk or drugged um and he became a really bad drug addict take he ended up taking a combination of drugs that gave him a stroke in 1981 that left him paralyzed and if you look at pictures of him yeah um, yeah you you see he's, he's in a wheelchair it's like it's it's very uh it's very sad um and Oops, I navigated away from the page, so I can't tell you when he passed away. Um, but his son, do you know John Paul Getty or uh, Balthazar Getty? Um, no, I don't, but I'm looking at pictures of him right now on Google image search. He's pretty handsome. Oh, uh, uh, so the boy who was kidnapped, John Paul Getty III, he passed away in 2011, but uh, he was wheelchair bound and um, for the I mean, the majority of his life. And then his son, he's an actor. He was in, um, uh, uh, fuck, that David Lynch movie with Patricia Arquette. <laughs> Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Lost the, Highway. Well, yeah. Uh, but famously, he had an affair with Sienna Miller while he was married. Well, I didn't know any of this. Well, that is the sordid tale of the Getty family, and the year that um, the year that uh, all the money in the world, which is the Ridley Scott movie about about this situation, this case. Uh, right after that came out, there was a series on FX that was made by. Um, oh my God! I'm losing all my my names. Um, the guy who did train spotting and uh, Slumdog Millionaire. He did oh. a series called Trust for FX about the kidnapping, and Brendan Fraser plays uh, a private investigator that is hired by the Getty family to try to locate the boy. And he is amazing. It's a really like stylized, um, hour long show about this tragic story. And that's, and Donald Sutherland plays the uh, J.P. Getty, the patriarch. And he's excellent. It takes place in the villa. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle, thank you. Um, I couldn't remember either. I don't know why. I don't know. His name escaped me. I was like Alex Garland. It's like, no, he wrote, they collaborated, but they. I, I was trying to remember the guy whatever my wires got crossed too and i was like trying to think of the guy that went out with madonna <laughs> that made lots guy ritchie guy ritchie lock stock and two smoking barrels yes anyway. rocco <laughs> madonna also showed being really awkward in the choir is she yeah. Oh, that video of her son. Yeah. Where she made her son dance. That was. Zwa should have her on the show. That would be so good. I don't think that. I don't know. That's a pretty big get, but. It, I mean, it'd be the biggest get of all. I would love to watch Madonna on that fucking show. Me too. <laughs> 
Do you feel like you've learned a lot about blackmail tonight? I learned so much about blackmail. I learned a lot about this Getty situation. I learned a lot. I'm, I always hate it when it turns out that the people, like, I love the Getty Center. I, like I do too. Center. It's a really special place. And the first time that I went, I went there, I remember walking around and thinking about this and, and just uh, thinking like, I mean, the, that's one of those big um, ethical things of like, if somebody does something that is good for the world and they were such an asshole like where does that leave you you know i mean <laughs> they're dead they're dead and what they left behind is a, just a spectacular place yeah it happened i mean griffith park is named after a true creep the griffith yeah. park oh yeah he he shot his wife in the head he did? And then he was, I, I'm talking out of my ass right now. I barely know about this, but I don't even really know what his first name was. But he was like another one of these guys who was like a billionaire in the early days of Hollywood and um, was involved in all kinds of crazy stuff. And he ended up, or he married, the wife was the one who had the money, I think. And he married her basically for her money and tried to kill her for her inheritance. He shot her in the head, but I guess also had, I really don't know the full story. She had money. He had money, shot her in the head. She survived. <gasps> but his reputation was completely tarnished. And Good. so to like make up for it and save face, he bought all this land, or I think they just like owned all this land and he just donated all of it to LA and made it like a huge municipal park and was like, it's Griffith Park now. And, <laughs> and now we have Griffith Park. You know, I love Griffith Park. Me too. Wow. I, I had no idea. But I guess, you know, if you're going to be an absolute monster in your life and you feel bad enough about it to, um, <laughs> to do something truly good for future generations, then okay. Maybe, yeah, I'm with you, Irene. I'm with you. Whatever. People I'll think about his wife when, next time I hit those trails. Yeah, next time you think about the wife and think about what she had to go through. I think that she was okay, like weirdly was fine. How? She survived. I know she survived and she got a divorce from him. Wow. Okay, so his name was Griffith J. Griffith. Pathetic. And... Uh, <laughs> He was born in 1850 in Wales, a, well, a, a Welshman, mm. um, died July 6th, 1919, age 69, the sexiest year. Yes. Um, married to, uh-oh, Mary Agnes, Agnes. Mesmer. I wonder if she's related to the Mesmer of Mesmerized. <laughs> um, so while vacationing in Santa Monica on September 3rd, 1903, Griffith shot his wife in the eye in the presidential suite of the Arcadia Hotel. She knelt on, as she knelt on the floor before him, hold up. Mm -hmm. He shot her while she was kneeling on the floor before him. Yes. I have follow-up questions. I don't think uh, anyone is alive who can answer them. No, they aren't. 
The shot did not kill her, but she was left disfigured and lost her right eye. He was charged with assault with a deadly weapon with intent to commit murder. I feel like that charge should have been a little harsher. Um, I mean, he was a secret drunk who was subject to paranoid delusions. He was only convicted of assault with a deadly weapon. The judge sentenced him to two years in San Quentin, instructing that he be given medical aid for his condition of alcoholic insanity. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> and then while he was in prison, she got a divorce on the grounds of cruelty. It was awarded custody of their 16-year-old son, Vandell. And the decree was made in record time, four and a half minutes. Wow. Oh, and he had to pay for his son to go to Stanford. I feel like he really got off light. Oh, he got off so I mean, of course he did. Of course. He yeah. used the title of colonel, but official records of military service which support this rank have not been found. Why was she kneeling in front of him, of course, is my he made question. Her do he pulled out a gun and was like, get on your knees, I'm sure. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I mean, that's what I imagine. He's like, I'm going to kill you. Get on your knees. Oh, God. Honestly, that's worse than what I thought. What did you think? I don't want to say no. Okay. But it was <laughs> sexual in nature. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Wait. So then. Yeah, think about it. <laughs> he, wait. She went by Tina, his wife. <sighs> okay, that's good. I'm glad. Okay. Then. He offered a second Christmas present in 1912. I don't know what his first, I guess his first one was the park. He gave the Greek theater and the Hall of Science to be built at his expense in Griffith Park. The offer was accepted by the city council. I mean, the whole thing. He built the Greek theater. He built the Griffith Observatory. Like, well, the whole fucking thing is, is him. As far as I'm concerned, it's called Tina Park now. Tina Park. <laughs> Change it to Tina Park. <laughs> I can't wait to go hiking all over Tina Park. Let's go for a hike in Tina As Park. Um, <laughs> or like, call it Mesmer. What about Mesmer Park? That was her last name. Yeah. Well, that's the name of her father. I want to call her by her, her common name. God, you're right. Tina. Tina. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. Let's talk... Let's talk shop here. Okay. I have random word generator open. I'm ready to refresh and see what the new word is. Do we want to stick with this method for our next episode? Let's do at least one more. I mean, I feel like three is a weird number. I feel like we should at least do four. I we... love it. Great. I'm much more comfortable with even numbers than odds as well. Here we go. I'm hitting refresh. Uh, and the word is... Uh, nationalist oh no, oh, no. <laughs> Aggie can I refresh it I don't want to do pick another one pick another one pick another one that's about okay, really yeah <laughs> the word is request fine fine request request all right okay well <laughs> that's way better than the other one okay request yes We'll see you next week with stories about requests. Oh
Boom. See you then. Bye. Bye. Yeah, you know me. It's a No fun. Open up your mouth. Stick out your tongue. Cause I trust the expert. Trust the expert.